Section 13 of Young Folks' Treasury, Volume 3, edited by Hamilton Wright Maybe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ellen Preckle. The Arabian Nights, adapted by Amy Steedman. 1. Aladdin and the Wonderful Lamp. Far away on the other side of the world, in one of the great wealthy cities of China, there once lived a poor tailor called Mustafa. He had a wife whom he loved dearly, and only one son, whose name was Aladdin. But, sad to say, although the tailor was good and industrious, his son was so idle and bad that his father and mother did not know what to do with him. All day long he played in the streets with other idle boys, and when he grew big enough to learn a trade, he said he did not mean to work at all. His poor father was very much troubled, and ordered Aladdin to come into the workshop to learn to be a tailor. But Aladdin only laughed, and ran away so swiftly that neither his father nor mother could catch him. "'Alas!' said Mustafa sadly, "'I can do nothing with this idle boy.' And he grew so sad about it that at last he fell ill and died. Then the poor widow was obliged to sell the little workshop and try to make enough money for herself and Aladdin by spinning. Now it happened that one day, when Aladdin was playing as usual with the idle street boys, a tall, dark old man stood watching him, and when the game was finished he made a sign to Aladdin to come to him. "'What is thy name, my boy?' asked this old man, who, though he appeared so kind, was really an African magician. "'My name is Aladdin,' answered the boy, wondering who this stranger could be. "'And what is thy father's name?' asked the magician. "'My father was Mustafa the tailor, but he has been dead a long time now,' answered Aladdin. "'Alas!' cried the wicked old magician, pretending to weep. "'He was my brother.' and thou must be my nephew. I am thy long-lost uncle. And he threw his arms round Aladdin's neck and embraced him. Tell thy dear mother that I will come and see her this very day, he cried, and give her this small present. And he placed in Aladdin's hands five gold pieces. Aladdin ran home in great haste to tell his mother the story of the long-lost uncle. It must be a mistake, she said. Thou hast no uncle." But when she saw the gold, she began to think that this stranger must be a relation, and so she prepared a grand supper to welcome him when he came. They had not long to wait before the African magician appeared, bringing with him all sorts of fruits and delicious sweets for dessert. "'Tell me about my poor brother,' he said, as he embraced Aladdin and his mother. "'Show me exactly where he used to sit.' Then the widow pointed to a seat on the sofa, and the magician knelt down and began to kiss the place and weep over it. The poor widow was quite touched, and began to believe that this really must be her husband's brother, especially when he began to show the kindest interest in Aladdin. "'What is thy trade?' he asked the boy. "'Alas,' said the widow, "'he will do nothing but play in the streets.' Aladdin hung his head with shame, as his uncle gravely shook his head. "'He must begin work at once,' he said. How would it please thee to have a shop of thy own? I could buy one for thee, and stock it with silks and rich stuffs. Aladdin danced with joy at the very idea, and next day set out with his supposed uncle, who bought him a splendid suit of clothes, and took him all over the city to show him the sights. The day after, the magician again took Aladdin out with him, but this time they went outside the city, through beautiful gardens into the open country. They walked so far that Aladdin began to grow weary, but the magician gave him a cake and some delicious fruit, and told him such wonderful tales that he scarcely noticed how far they had gone. At last they came to a deep valley between two mountains, and there the magician paused. "'Stop!' he cried. 
This is the very place I am in search of. Gather some sticks that we may make a fire. Aladdin quickly did as he was bid, and soon gathered together a great heap of dry sticks. The magician then set fire to them, and the heap blazed up merrily. With great care the old man now sprinkled some curious-looking powder on the flames, and muttered strange words. In an instant the earth beneath their feet trembled, and they heard a rumbling like distant thunder. Then the ground opened in front of them and showed a great square slab of stone with a ring in it. By this time Aladdin was so frightened that he turned to run home as fast as he could, but the magician caught him and gave him such a blow that he fell to the earth. "'Why dost thou strike me, uncle?' sobbed Aladdin. "'Do as I bid thee,' said the magician, "'and then thou shalt be well treated. Dost thou see that stone? Beneath it is a treasure which I will share with thee. Only obey me, and it will soon be ours.' As soon as Aladdin heard of a treasure, he jumped up and forgot all his fears. He seized the ring as the magician directed, and easily pulled up the stone. Now, said the old man, look in, and thou wilt see stone steps leading downwards. Thou shalt descend those steps till thou comest to three great halls. Pass through them, but take care to wrap thy coat well round thee, that thou mayest touch nothing, for if thou dost thou wilt die instantly. When thou hast passed through the halls, thou wilt come into a garden of fruit-trees. Go through it until thou sees a niche with a lighted lamp in it. Put the light out, pour forth the oil, and bring the lamp to me. So saying, the magician placed a magic ring upon Aladdin's finger to guard him, and bade the boy begin his search. Aladdin did exactly as he was told, and found everything just as the magician had said. He went through the halls and the garden until he came to the lamp, and when he had poured out the oil and placed the lamp carefully inside his coat, he began to look about him. He had never seen such a lovely garden before, even in his dreams. The fruits that hung upon the trees were of every color of the rainbow. Some were clear and shining like crystal. Some sparkled with a crimson light. Others were green, blue, violet, and orange, while the leaves that shaded them were silver and gold. Aladdin did not guess that these fruits were precious stones, diamonds, rubies, emeralds, and sapphires, but they looked so pretty that he filled all his pockets with them as he passed back through the garden. The magician was eagerly peering down the stone steps when Aladdin began to climb up. "'Give me the lamp!' he cried, stretching forth his hand for it. "'Wait until I get out,' answered Aladdin, "'and then I will give it to thee.' "'Hand it up to me at once!' screamed the old man angrily. "'Not till I am safely out,' repeated Aladdin. Then the magician stomped with rage, and rushing to the fire, threw on it some more of the curious powder, uttered the same strange words as before, and instantly the stone slipped back into its place, the earth closed over it, and Aladdin was left in darkness. This showed indeed that the wicked old man was not Aladdin's uncle. By his magic arts in Africa he had found out all about the lamp, which was a wonderful treasure, as you will see but he knew that he could not get it himself, that another hand must fetch it to him. This was the reason why he had fixed upon Aladdin to help him, and had meant, as soon as the lamp was safely in his hand, to kill the boy. As his plan had failed, he went back to Africa, and was not seen again for a long, long time. But there was poor Aladdin, shut up underground, with no way of getting out. He tried to find his way back to the great halls and the beautiful garden of shining fruits, but the walls had closed up, and there was no escape that way either. 
For two days the poor boy sat crying and moaning in his despair, and just as he had made up his mind that he must die, he clasped his hands together, and in doing so rubbed the ring which the magician had put on his finger. In an instant a huge figure rose out of the earth and stood before him. "'What is thy will, my master?' it said. "'I am the slave of the ring, and must obey him who wears the ring.' "'Whoever or whatever you are,' cried Aladdin, "'take me out of this dreadful place.' Scarcely had he said these words when the earth opened, and the next moment Aladdin found himself lying at his mother's door. He was so weak for want of food, and his joy at seeing his mother was so great that he fainted away. But when he came to himself he promised to tell her all that had happened. "'But first give me something to eat,' he cried, "'for I am dying of hunger.' alas said his mother i have nothing in the house except a little cotton which i will go out and sell stop a moment cried aladdin rather let us sell this old lamp which i have brought back with me now the lamp looked so old and dirty that aladdin's mother began to rub it wishing to brighten it a little that it might fetch a higher price but no sooner had she given it the first rub than a huge dark figure slowly rose from the floor like a wreath of smoke until it reached the ceiling towering above them what is thy will it asked i am the slave of the lamp and must do the bidding of him who holds the lamp the moment the figure began to rise from the ground aladdin's mother was so terrified that she fainted away but aladdin managed to snatch the lamp from her although he could scarcely hold it in his own shaking hand fetch me something to eat he said in a trembling voice for the terrible genie was glaring down upon him the slave of the lamp disappeared in a cloud of smoke but in an instant he was back again bringing with him a most delicious breakfast served upon plates and dishes of pure gold by this time aladdin's mother had recovered but she was almost too frightened to eat and begged aladdin to sell the lamp at once for she was sure it had something to do with evil spirits but aladdin only laughed at her fears and said he meant to make use of that magical lamp and wonderful ring now that he knew their worth as soon as they again wanted money they sold the golden plates and dishes and when these were all gone aladdin ordered the genie to bring more and so they lived in comfort for several years now aladdin had heard a great deal about the beauty of the sultan's daughter and he began to long so greatly to see her that he could not rest he thought of a great many plans but they all seemed impossible for the princess never went out without a veil which covered her entirely at last, however, he managed to enter the palace and hide himself behind a door, peeping through a chink when the princess passed to go to her bath. The moment Aladdin's eyes rested upon the beautiful princess, he loved her with all his heart, for she was as fair as the dawn of a summer morning. Mother, he cried when he reached home, I have seen the princess, and I have made up my mind to marry her. Thou shalt go at once to the sultan and beg him to give me his daughter. Aladdin's mother stared at her son, and then began to laugh at such a wild idea. She was almost afraid that Aladdin must be mad, but he gave her no peace until she did as he wished. So the next day she very unwillingly set out for the palace, carrying the magic fruit wrapped up in a napkin to present to the sultan. There were many other people offering their petitions that day, and the poor woman was so frightened that she dared not go forward, and so no one paid any attention to her as she stood there patiently holding her bundle for a whole week she had gone every day to the palace before the sultan noticed her who is that poor woman who comes every day carrying a white bundle he asked 
Then the Grand Vizier ordered that she should be brought forward, and she came, bowing herself to the ground. She was almost too terrified to speak, but when the Sultan spoke so kindly to her, she took courage, and told him of Aladdin's love for the Princess, and of his bold request. "'He sends you this gift,' she continued, and opening the bundle, she presented the magic fruit. A cry of wonder went up from all those who stood around, for never had they beheld such exquisite jewels before. They shone and sparkled with a thousand lights and colors, and dazzled the eyes that gazed upon them. The sultan was astounded, and spoke to the grand vizier apart. "'Surely it is fit that I should give my daughter to one who can present such a wondrous gift,' he said. Now, when three months were ended, Aladdin's mother again presented herself before the sultan, and reminded him of his promise that the princess should wed her son. "'I ever abide by my royal word,' said the sultan, but he who marries my daughter must first send me forty golden basins filled to the brim with precious stones. These basins must be carried by forty black slaves, each led by a white slave, dressed as befits the servants of the sultan. Aladdin's mother returned home in great distress when she heard this, and told Aladdin what the sultan had said. Alas, my son, she cried, thy hopes are ended. Not so, mother, answered Aladdin. The sultan shall not have long to wait for his answer. Then he rubbed the magic lamp, and when the genie appeared, he bade him provide the forty golden basins, filled with jewels, and all the slaves which the sultan had demanded. Now when this splendid procession passed through the streets, on its way to the palace, all the people came out to see the sight, and stood amazed when they saw the golden basins, filled with sparkling gems, carried on the heads of the great black slaves. And when the palace was reached, and the slaves presented the jewels to the sultan, he was so surprised and delighted, that he was more than willing that Aladdin should marry the princess at once. "'Go fetch thy son,' he said to Aladdin's mother, who was waiting near. "'Tell him that this day he shall wed my daughter.' But when Aladdin heard the news, he refused to hasten at once to the palace, as his mother advised. First he called the genie, and told him to bring a scented bath and a robe worked in gold, such as a king might wear. After this he called for forty slaves to attend him, and six to walk before his mother, and a horse more beautiful than the sultan's, and lastly for ten thousand pieces of gold put up in ten purses.' When all these things were ready, and Aladdin was dressed in his royal robe, he set out for the palace. As he rode along on his beautiful horse, attended by his forty slaves, he scattered the golden pieces out of the purses among the crowd, and all the people shouted with joy and delight. No one knew that this was the idle boy who used to play about the streets, but they thought he was some great foreign prince. Thus Aladdin arrived at the palace in great state, and when the sultan had embraced him, he ordered that the wedding feast should be prepared at once, and that the marriage should take place that day. Not so, your majesty, said Aladdin. I will not marry the princess until I have built a palace fit for the daughter of the sultan. Then he returned home, and once more called up the slave of the lamp. Build me the fairest palace ever beheld by mortal eye, ordered Aladdin. Let it be built of marble and jasper and precious stones. In the midst I would have a great hall, whose walls shall be of gold and silver, lighted by four-and-twenty windows. These windows shall all be set with diamonds, rubies, and other precious stones, and one only shall be left unfinished. There must also be stables with horses, and slaves to serve in the palace. Be gone, and do thy work quickly. And, lo, in the morning when Aladdin looked out, there stood the most wonderful palace that ever was built. Its marble walls were flushed a delicate pink in the morning light and the jewels flashed from every window. 
Then Aladdin and his mother set off for the Sultan's palace, and the wedding took place that day. The princess loved Aladdin as soon as she saw him, and great were the rejoicings throughout the city. The next day Aladdin invited the Sultan to visit the new palace, and when he entered the great hall, whose walls were of gold and silver, and whose windows were set with jewels, he was filled with admiration and astonishment. "'It is the wonder of the world,' he cried. "'Never before have mortal eyes beheld such a beautiful palace. One thing alone surprises me. Why is there one window left unfinished?' "'Your Majesty,' answered Aladdin, "'this has been done with a purpose, for I wished that thine own royal hand should have the honour of putting the finishing touch to my palace.' The Sultan was so pleased when he heard this that he sent at once for all the court jewellers and ordered them to finish the window like the rest. The court jewellers worked for many days, and then sent to tell the Sultan that they had used up all the jewels they possessed, and still the window was not half finished.' The sultan commanded that his own jewels should be given to complete the work. Even when these were used, the window was not finished. Then Aladdin ordered the jewelers to stop their work, and to take back all the sultan's jewels, as well as their own. And that night he called up the slave of the lamp once more, and bade him finish the window. This was done before the morning, and great was the surprise of the sultan and all his workmen. Now Aladdin did not grow proud of his great riches, but was gentle and courteous to all, and kind to the poor, so that the people all loved him dearly. He fought and won many battles for the Sultan, and was the greatest favorite in the land. But far away in Africa there was trouble brewing for Aladdin. The wicked old magician, who had pretended to be Aladdin's uncle, found out by his magic powers that the boy had not perished when he left him underground, and had somehow managed to escape and become rich and powerful. "'He must have discovered the secret of the lamp,' shrieked the magician, tearing his hair with rage. "'I will not rest day or night until I shall have found some way of taking it from him.' So he journeyed from Africa to China, and when he came to the city where Aladdin lived and saw the wonderful palace, he nearly choked with fury to see all its splendor and richness. Then he disguised himself as a merchant and bought a number of copper lamps, and with these went from street to street, crying, New lamps for old. As soon as the people heard his cry, they crowded round him laughing and jeering, for they thought he must be mad to make such an offer. Now it happened that Aladdin was out hunting, and the princess sat alone in the hall of the jeweled windows. When, therefore, she heard the noise that was going on in the street outside, she called to her slaves to ask what it meant. Presently one of the slaves came back, laughing so much that she could hardly speak. It is a curious old man who offers to give new lamps for old, she cried. Did anyone ever hear before of such a strange way of trading? The princess laughed too, and pointed to an old lamp which hung in a niche close by. There is an old enough lamp, she said. Take it and see if the old man will really give a new one for it. The slave took it down and ran out to the street once more and when the magician saw that it was indeed what he wanted, he seized the magic lamp with both his hands. "'Choose any lamp you like,' he said, showing her those of bright new copper. He did not care now what happened. She might have all the new lamps if she wanted them. Then he went a little way outside the city, and when he was quite alone, he took out the magic lamp and rubbed it gently. Immediately the genie stood before him and asked what was his will. I order thee to carry off the palace of Aladdin with the princess inside, and set it down in a lonely spot in Africa. And in an instant the palace, with every one in it, had disappeared, and when the sultan happened to look out of his window, lo, 
There was no longer a palace to be seen. This must be enchantment, he cried. Then he ordered his men to set out and bring Aladdin to him in chains. The officers met Aladdin as he was returning from the hunt, and they immediately seized him, loaded him with chains, and carried him off to the sultan. But as he was borne along, the people gathered round him, for they loved him dearly, and vowed that no harm should befall him. The sultan was beside himself with rage when he saw Aladdin, and gave orders that his head should be cut off at once. But the people had begun to crowd into the palace, and they were so fierce and threatening that he dared not do as he wished. He was obliged to order the chains to be taken off, and Aladdin to be set free. As soon as Aladdin was allowed to speak, he asked why all this was done to him. "'Wretch!' exclaimed the sultan. "'Come hither, and I will show thee.' Then he led Aladdin to the window, and showed him the empty space where his palace had once stood. "'Think not that I care for thy vanished palace,' he said. "'But where is the princess, my daughter?' So astonished was Aladdin, that for some time he could only stand speechless, staring at the place where his palace ought to have been. At last he turned to the sultan. "'Your majesty,' he said, "'grant me grace for one month and if by that time I have not brought back thy daughter to thee, then put me to death as I deserve. So Aladdin was set free, and for three days he went about like a madman, asking everyone he met where his palace was. But no one could tell him, and all laughed at his misery. Then he went to the river to drown himself, but as he knelt on the bank and clasped his hands to say his prayers before throwing himself in, he once more rubbed the magic ring. Instantly the genie of the ring stood before him. "'What is thy will, O master?' it asked. "'Bring back my princess and my palace,' cried Aladdin, "'and save my life.' "'That I cannot do,' said the slave of the ring. "'Only the slave of the lamp has power to bring back thy palace.' "'Then take me to the place where my palace now stands,' said Aladdin, "'and put me down beneath the window of the princess.' And almost before Aladdin had done speaking, he found himself in Africa, beneath the windows of his own palace." He was so weary that he lay down and fell fast asleep, but before long, when day dawned, he was awakened by the song of the birds, and as he looked around, his courage returned. He was now sure that all his misfortunes must have been caused by the loss of the magic lamp, and he determined to find out as soon as possible who had stolen it. That same morning the princess awoke feeling happier than she had felt since she had been carried off. The sun was shining so brightly, and the birds were singing so gaily, that she went to the window to greet the opening day. And who should she see, standing beneath her window, but Aladdin? With a cry of joy she threw open the casement, and the sound made Aladdin look up. It was not long before he made his way through a secret door, and held her in his arms. "'Tell me, princess,' said Aladdin, when they had joyfully embraced each other many times, "'what has become of the old lamp which hung in a niche of the great hall?' alas my husband answered the princess i fear my carelessness has been the cause of all our misfortunes then she told him how the wicked old magician had pretended to be a merchant and had offered new lamps for old and how he had thus managed to secure the magic lamp he still has it she added for i know that he carries it always hidden in his robe princess said aladdin i must recover this lamp and thou shalt help me to-night when the magician dines with thee dress thyself in thy costliest robes and be kind and gracious to him then bid him fetch some of the wines of africa and when he is gone i will tell thee what thou shalt do so that night the princess put on her most beautiful robes and looked so lovely and was so kind when the magician came in that he could scarcely believe his eyes 
for she had been sad and angry ever since he had carried her off. I believe now that Aladdin must be dead, she said, and I have made up my mind to mourn no longer. Let us begin our feast. But see, I grow weary of these wines of China. Fetch me instead the wine of thine own country. Now Aladdin had meanwhile prepared a powder, which he directed the princess to place in her own wine cup. So when the magician returned with the African wine, she filled her cup and offered it to him in token of friendship. The magician drank it up eagerly, and scarcely had he finished when he dropped down dead. Then Aladdin came out of the next chamber where he had hidden himself, and searched in the magician's robes until he found the magic lamp. He rubbed it joyfully, and when the genie appeared, ordered that the palace should be carried back to China and set down in its own place. The following morning when the sultan rose early, for he was too sad to take much rest, he went to the window to gaze on the place where Aladdin's palace had once stood. He rubbed his eyes and stared wildly about. This must be a dream, he cried, for there stood the palace in all its beauty, looking fairer than ever in the morning light. Not a moment did the sultan lose, but he rode over to the palace at once, and when he had embraced Aladdin and his daughter, they told him the whole story of the African magician. Then Aladdin showed him the dead body of the wicked old man, and there was peace between them once more. But there was still trouble in store for Aladdin. The African magician had a younger brother, who also dealt in magic, and who was, if possible, even more wicked than his elder brother. Full of revenge, this younger brother started for China, determined to punish Aladdin and steal the magic lamp for himself. As soon as he arrived, he went in secret to the cell of a holy woman called Fatima, and obliged her to give him her robe and veil as a disguise. Then, to keep the secret safe, he killed the poor woman. Dressed in the robe and veil, the wicked magician walked through the streets near Aladdin's palace, and all the people as he passed by knelt and kissed his robe, for they thought he was indeed the holy woman. As soon as the princess heard that Fatima was passing by in the street, she sent and commanded her to be brought into the hall, and she treated the supposed holy woman with great respect and kindness, for she had often longed to see her. "'Is not this a fine hall?' she asked, as they sat together in the hall of the jeweled windows. "'It is indeed most beautiful,' answered the magician, who kept his veil carefully down. "'But to my mind there is one thing wanting. If only thou couldst have a rock's egg hung in the dome, it would be perfect.' As soon as the princess heard these words, she became discontented and miserable, and when Aladdin came in she looked so sad that he at once asked what was the matter. "'I can never be happy until I have a rock's egg hanging from the dome of the great hall,' she answered. "'In that case thou shalt soon be happy,' said Aladdin gaily, and, taking down the lamp, he summoned the genie. But when the slave of the lamp heard the order, his face grew terrible with rage, and his eyes gleamed like burning coals vile wretch he shrieked have i not given thee all thy wishes and now dost thou ask me to kill my master and hang him as an ornament in thy palace thou deservest truly to die but i know that the request cometh not from thine own heart but was the suggestion of that wicked magician who pretends to be a holy woman with these words the genie vanished and aladdin at once went to the room where the princess was awaiting him i have a headache he said Call the holy woman that she may place her hand upon my forehead and ease the pain. But the moment that the false Fatima appeared, Aladdin sprang up and plunged his dagger into that evil heart. What hast thou done? cried the princess. Alas, thou hast slain the holy woman. This is no holy woman, answered Aladdin, but an evil magician whose purpose was to destroy us both. 
So Aladdin was saved from the wicked design of the two magicians, and there was no one left to disturb his peace. He and the princess lived together in great happiness for many years, and when the sultan died they succeeded to the throne, and ruled both wisely and well, and so there was great peace throughout the land. End of section 13